What's up? What's happening on a Thursday on the Hoffman Show on the Team 980? I am Craig Hoffman, joined uh, by, of course, super producer Anthony Haney. Haney, how are you on this Thursday? Uh, I'm a little sad. Why are you? Well, now you're sad because your headphones are busted. Uh, yeah, I'm a little sad because uh, this is going to be our last show for a while. It is going to be our last show for a while. I am taking some uh, much-needed time off next week uh, that actually kind of starts uh, tomorrow because we're going, we're going to see my niece uh, and, and my in-laws uh, in Ohio. So I'm excited, excited for that. Um, but it does mean that I'm off tomorrow. Uh, Doc is in. So the, the audience, you're in very good hands. Just Anthony and I are going to miss each other a little bit. Are you going to text me in the morning and just be like, hey, what do you want to talk about today? And I'm going to be like, whatever you want, buddy, because it doesn't have to be the radio. Uh, I think I'll probably get myself together where I'm about to text you and then think, ah, Craig is out, actually. Right. You're going to let me enjoy some yeah. time not thinking about yep. football topics. Mm-hmm. Thanks. But that's, that's true friendship. If you would like to you know, come on the show at any time during your break – let me know. <laughs> Buy you a segment? Yes. Who knows? I mean, a week off is a long time. Now, it I, is. I think, I think we're still going to do take command. So, like, I will get – we'll scratch the itch a little bit. We could always send you a take command segment. Then I don't have to do it twice. That's fair. And I'm sure Doc would take the, the segment and be yeah. like, yeah, I'll, you know, he's he, – you know, he loves Logan. <laughs> his, uh, his fellow Bruin. Yep. Anthony, I could be in trouble here. I just got a piece of the protein bar I just ate, which this feels like a very Hoffman thing to happen. Mm. I just got lodged in my throat. I don't have water upstairs. I'm in the home studio today, and I am two flights away from water. Anthony can't help me. Rachel just left. So she's probably now listening to the show driving, being like, you big, giant dummy. I would help you if I was home. There's nothing I can do. Uh, I, think, I think I cleared it. I think we're okay. There we go. Uh, also, in case anyone's wondering, I don't have a cough button at home, so I can't get fined. I tried my best to at least lean away from the microphone. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's kind of where we are. Just off to a raucous start here on uh, on my Friday, but the Thursday edition of the Hoffman Show. Um, obviously, our main story today is going to be the press conferences that happened uh, an hour and a half ago. In Ashburn, Joe Witt Jr. burned down the building. Everybody's ready to run through a wall. Uh, everyone's super psyched. Uh, and Cliff Kingsbury uh, is very, very efficient in his speech, Anthony. I feel like we have now switched places. Uh, last year, it was the offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy, who we were like, long sound bites, get ready. Um, although I feel like Joe Witt Jr. is a lot more substantive. EB was a lot of platitudes. Um, but Joe Witt Jr., uh, he, he'll give you an answer, and Cliff is just like, bang, 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 done. And it's not like he doesn't answer the question, unless he's like intentionally not answering the question. But he is – it's actually something that um, I remember talking about with Logan that he had heard and that um, kind of the way Cliff operates. And even Cliff talked about this on the podcast that I've mentioned a couple of times, the, the interview – or the podcast he did with Peter Schrager and Sean McVay back in 2021 or 2020 during the pandemic when Sean decided he was going to do a podcast for like seven episodes. And it, it talks about like how Cliff is a very efficient on purpose with how he delivers stuff to players because he knows that attention spans just aren't that long. And it's like, here is what you need to know. Okay, get out of here. 
and I think players probably love and respect that about him, um, where definitely we've all been in meetings uh, where they can drown on. Um, I actually saw a clip earlier today from the Let's Go podcast, which is Tom Brady's podcast, where it's him, Julian Edelman, and Randy Moss talking about some days back in New England when Randy would like beg the coaches to not have meetings. Like Randy Moss did not like meetings. Randy Moss threatened to retire weekly over meetings. He's just like, no, I don't want it. And apparently there was one time we actually should pull this for real things. Anthony, um, it's on the let's go podcast, Instagram page, but Randy would, uh, like he'd get the receivers together and be like, we're getting this right. And it's because he had gone to Bill O'Brien, who's the offensive coordinator and been like, I got it. We're going to handle it. We don't need to meet about this because Randy didn't want to have a meeting. So it was a form of accountability to get Randy Moss out of meetings that Randy Moss was a leader in New England in that very specific way. But Cliff, very short and to the point. And I think I want to talk about both these guys to start. And then I have kind of some, I think, deeper, more interesting thoughts on some of the things specifically that Cliff said next. But I, I came away impressed with both for different reasons. I think that when you, talk, when you listen to Joe Witt Jr., the thing that you immediately get and gather is that he understands teaching and that that is ultimately the job. The job is to understand who you are talking to and how to get them information. And I thought he shared a personal but very important anecdote or, or factoid. Like he's dyslexic. So he is used to being kind of screwed by the way that we educate. And it's not that this is a dumb person by any stretch. Listen to him for five seconds. You're like, that is a smart man who has his stuff together. Um, he's got a lot of energy. He's fired up. But like there's an intelligence that just comes streaming out of him in terms of understanding of what the job is and, and a passion to ultimately get it done. But when you have a learning disability and the system doesn't really account for that by the system, I mean, like, you know, public academia or most academia, um, especially in the times that Joe Witt was, was coming up. I mean, this is not someone who is coming up in the modern school system that is better equipped in these ways, or better school systems that are equipped in these ways. We know more now. We, we have better ways to equip teachers, and, and we're more sensitive. And I use sensitive as a, you know, as a positive word. We're more sensitive to these things now because we realize how much potential has been lost by looking past people who couldn't learn because of things beyond their control. Um, but because he has gone through this and experienced life this way, he, the word he used, he's like, I'm used to teaching to the creative learner. So he has different ways that he can get his points across to people. And he talked about how if a player can't learn from a coach, that's a coaching problem, not a player problem. So that's just not going to fly in the ways that it felt like guys like Jamin Davis and Emmanuel Forbes and every other young player that seemed to go through the defense over the last couple of years by one coach or another would get left behind. And you have the same mistakes over and over again, and you're just going, you can't develop players this way. And I think Joe Witt Jr. understands that. And I don't know whether they would use those terms like player development versus just like, no, that's coaching, but it's one in the same. And ultimately that's, what's really important. I think when you talk about what Cliff brings is clearly a high level of thought about, offensive football and I think he also is someone on the communications front that is extremely on message um a couple of reporters and I don't say this again like it's Nikki and Sam who I think did a great job and asked the right questions but they tried to get a little bit more information out of him 
about the process in terms of coming here. And Cliff very clearly had a plan that he was not going to talk about that. And instead of what happens a lot of times, which is you have an ability to peel back the layers if you are diligent as a reporter and ask questions and follow up and you can you, you sense a little bit of an opening here, a little bit of an opening there, and you can finally get some information. Cliff just shut it down. Cliff was like, I don't want to really want to talk about the process. I'm really excited to be here. The fan base, the ownership group, blah, blah, blah. He answered the rest of the question. Follow up. You know, can you do that? I really don't want to talk about the process. Period. He just stopped talking. Uh, Sam follows up, asks, hey, how's Magic Johnson involved? And Cliff, like, chuckled. He's like, I don't want to talk about it. We're, I'm, I'm, and then he just stops talking. Like, that is a, a person who understands what he wants, who he's comfortable saying, understands what he's not, and is extremely and poignantly on message. That is an effective communicator. And ultimately, obviously, it's got to get through to the players. Ultimately, he's going to have to be able to do that as a, as a teacher and as a coach. But seeing those skills, I, I immediately see some of the reasons why uh, Dan Quinn was attracted to these men and in terms of bringing them in as a coach uh, and why he trusts them to lead because the coordinator position is not just like, can you coach offense or defense? You are coaching and over an entire staff and you got to understand how to put it all together and how to get everybody to work together. And I think maybe some of the ways that go about it are different, but also there's some underlying important similarities in terms of effective communication that come across from both men in their press conference today. However, I think the most interesting thing that comes out of this press conference today is the way Cliff Kingsbury described what the commanders are going to do on offense. And I think that not to ruin the whole next segment, but I don't think Cliff Kingsbury knows what the commanders are going to do on offense, which could be amazing and is also slightly terrifying. I'll explain next. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980 and always live on the free Odyssey app. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, just over 15 minutes from right now, ESPN's Field Yates dropped his mock draft 1.0 yesterday. He joins the show, and then if you haven't heard Take Command's mock draft 1.0, you'll hear the first part of it coming up at the top of the hour. So great little draft uh, bit coming up. Uh, also, uh, in between those two, thoughts on the top three quarterbacks and how they could fit with Cliff Kingsbury's offense, which brings us to Cliff Kingsbury's offense. Cliff Kingsbury uh, obviously played for Mike Leach at Texas Tech, uh, air raid guy in terms of how he came up. He then took that offense that he played very well in as a quarterback at Texas Tech. Uh, didn't really play a lot in the NFL. Did get a Super Bowl ring as a Tom Brady backup in New England, but retires, goes into coaching, uh, goes to the University of Houston where he pairs up with a guy named Kevin Sumlin. Very quickly, he impresses Sumlin. Case Keenum, who somehow is still playing in the NFL, uh, not somehow like as in, you know, a, congrats to Case. Like, he's been around a while. Like, congrats. That, that wasn't meant to be a shot. It kind of sounded like it. Anyway, point is, Case Keenum was his quarterback back in the day at University of Houston, and they broke records. Like, Case was throwing, like, 50 touchdowns. It was nuts. Um, and then Sumlin goes to Texas A&M. Cliff goes with him. Uh, Cliff's the OC by this point. Uh, had great success with Johnny Menzel, obviously. Then he gets the job at Texas Tech, has Mahomes, yada, yada. And he's kind of running air raid the whole time. 
Now, as he got to Arizona and got his first shot in the NFL, we saw what I would not consider a true air raid offense, certainly a lot of air raid principles, but there was a lot more to it at the NFL level. So that leaves this huge question. Now, as Cliff Kingsbury gets his second shot in the NFL, this time as just an offensive coordinator, not as a head coach, and he brings in Anthony Lynn. He brings in Bobby Johnson. He brings in Brian Johnson and multiple other coaches that have other backgrounds. Keeps Tavita Pritchard. Uh, David Blau uh, is now the assistant quarterbacks coach who played for Cliff briefly in Arizona um, and really impressed him, one of the smartest guys uh, in the NFL in terms of a backup quarterback. Feel, big Dan Orlovsky vibes. Like, played a long time, even though he didn't actually play because he wasn't that good as a player, but, like, brilliant and worth having in a meeting room. And so now the commanders are going to pay him to be in the meeting room as a coach instead of as a quarterback. Um, but you have all these different backgrounds and, and how does it all come together? And Cliff said something today directly about that, the roots of it all, the air raid that I think is significant and fascinating. Here is what the commander's new offensive coordinator said. Yeah. At Texas tech, um, university of Houston, you know, we had case Keenum and Patrick Mahomes. So we were throwing it a ton and it was spread offense. Just like a lot of those are you get in the NFL, you, you learn the nature of that game and, and the different personnel groups and, um, the matchups and, and things like that. And I'm not sure where we were on, on pass percentage my last three years there, but I, I know it wasn't at the top. Um, so we want to be balanced. We want to be able to run the football and, and, uh, play action pass and, um, really do whatever it takes to win. But the air raid deal is, is, you know, I'm honored to be a part of that because it was Mike Leach, and I have a tremendous amount of respect for him, but uh, I wouldn't categorize anything we do under that name. R.I.P. to the Pirate. Salute. Uh, but to hear Cliff say that, considering how much reverence he does have and how easy it would frankly be to lie about it, too, to be like, yeah, no, that's what we're doing, and then just not do it, um, I think it's pretty significant. And the Air Raid has a lot of interesting concepts. And I think actually the Air Raid, from what I know about it, has a very useful place structurally in the modern NFL. I'm going to get real nerdy on you here for a second, so hopefully uh, I do a good job explaining. But we think of coverages, specifically zone coverages, of how they're drawn up in Madden, because that's most of our daily you know, non-professional football player uh, exposure to them. There are kind of dots on the screen, uh, shaded areas, and you're responsible for that. Or, you know, there, if you want to go slightly more advanced, it's like, yeah, okay, cover three, for instance, to a basic, basic cover three. You have the two corners that are responsible for a deep third of the field, so like 15 yards uh, of depth and to, to the end zone. Divide the field in thirds. And the corners are responsible for the outside two-thirds, and one of the safeties is responsible for the middle. Then take that 15 yards to the line of scrimmage and up, divide it into quarters, and that's that's your area. That's realistically not how zone coverages work in the NFL anymore. The, the Vic Fangio school has blended these zone match concepts that wind up being very amoeba-y in terms of their coverage. So, you know, yes, a receiver might enter your area, and then you latch on and follow him. And how you match that could look very man-to-man-y. And thus, the zone beaters that coaches have come up with for years, like, oh, we need to you know, pull a defender out of one area. You know, double slants can, can pull a defender out of one area of the zone and then vac- create a vacant hole behind. Or that first slant is open because it's a different zone. Like, a lot of these route combinations, you know, that attack uh, flat, 
slant and then, you know, uh, whatever behind it or mesh concepts. Like they, they all are designed to attack that more static version of zone coverage. And when you latch on, it messes it up because a guy that's supposed to run and break free all of a sudden or have an area to sit down once he clears a, a linebacker over the middle, that's not there anymore because the linebacker just latched onto him. And what the air raid theoretically does is it reads space, not coverage. So we don't care whether you're in cover two, cover three, or some of these. Even, you know, there's kind of a step in between of zone match and uh, kind of your basic coverages of, of something like a cover six, which looks like cover three on one side and cover four on the other. And so to have why, – why it's then called cover six, I couldn't tell you, but that's, that's kind of how it goes. Again, I was told there would be no math. So the, the idea that you're reading space is actually very helpful, and to have that as part of your offense I think could be very beneficial in the modern NFL. Uh, don't take my word for it. Take the word of Matt Ryan, who when he joined us last summer on Take Command talked about how he started to do that more, where instead of – like he would have – games where he had big games and completions and if you asked him afterwards what coverages the defense was playing he wouldn't know because he'd be like i don't know we just decided we were going to put because they were playing this amoeba coverage that we don't really know what it was because it got so messy we would know that we were attacking the safety and based off where the safety went i threw it where he wasn't and so that is kind of on some level, how the air raid works, at least my understanding of it, is it's the space reads. It's attacking players. It's putting them in conflict. And so taking that and combining it with other offenses seems like a great way to build an offense in the modern NFL. Let's take some of the zone uh, running game stuff that Kyle Shanahan has done very well. Let's take some of the gap scheme running stuff that other teams have done very well, that Bobby Johnson is very familiar with and Anthony Lynn is very familiar with. Let's take all of that stuff, marry it with some of the pass game concepts, some of the protection rules, uh, and some of the fakes and all these kinds of things with the air raid you know, route concepts, and now we're cooking with something. However, and some of that is already happening around the league, I would say. However, how you do that, how you go about building it is, I would say, both exciting, but also moderately terrifying because you have to build it from scratch. And so how do they go about building it? Cliff Kingsbury today on the personnel side of this and where I think this gets, uh, I would say, a fine line between exciting and terrifying. Yeah, I haven't got, I would say, far enough into it, but obviously there's the explosive pieces on offense that you notice, um, but... I'm about three games in, so we have a ways to go. But, um, yeah, I'm excited. I, I think there's some pieces there. So what are we building here? Is it around Terry and John? Is it around Brian Robinson? Is it around whatever this quarterback is, which means we can't start building the quarterback and, or building the offense till the quarterback's here? That What happens if that quarterback gets hurt? Like, they did have a little bit of that in uh, Arizona where they built the offense around Kyler, which, like, you know, there is a little bit of what they used to say with the Indianapolis Colts, where um, I think it was Howard Mudd. It might have been one of the other assistants, but uh, one of the old Peyton Manning coaches would say, like, what, well, what happens if Peyton gets hurt? And he goes, we're bleeped, and we don't plan for bleeped. It's just like, well, there is no Jim Sorgi offense. Like, we're just – we're screwed. Um, and that's a little bit what happened to them in Arizona. Kyler goes out, and a lot of the offense that was built around Kyler – doesn't work as well with Colt McCoy and David Blau and et cetera, obviously. So ultimately, I guess what I'm getting at is this. I think 
you have to have principles that you're building off of. And I trust that Cliff Kingsbury has been around the NFL long enough to have principles. There are going to be certain non-negotiables. But even in the way he talked about Anthony Lynn's role, where it's, he said, like, oh, we're figuring it out. It doesn't seem like they have much of a plan beyond get smart people in the building and go from there. Which, again, is not the worst plan I've ever heard. It's a lot better than, hey... We have a bunch of people that are mediocre at their jobs, and we have the track record to prove it. But if we just keep running it back because we all know each other, it'll go great, a.k.a. the first three years of offensive coaching of the Ron Rivera era. Um, so I, I trust that there are smart minds in the room. I trust that they have all bought in that Dan Quinn and Adam Peters and Cliff Kingsbury would not sign off on them if they weren't all on board with the idea that, hey, we're going to build something here. And taking the experiences from all of these coaches, I would say, and then taking also what you want to be as an offense and filling it out personnel-wise, seeing what you have, how do we accentuate the strengths. I think that plays into to what I call my dude theory, which is like, let's get the good dudes the ball. So let's take what Brian Robinson does well, and let's make sure it's in the offense. Let's make sure we see what Terry and Jahan do well and make sure it's in the offense. I love that but it does come with a level of concern that you are building it from scratch as opposed to saying we know this stuff works here's how we're going to do it we've tested proven found errors etc building it all at once making it all come together and not really having at least publicly and i will also say i i you know they don't have to tell us everything but i don't know why you'd say like yeah, we don't really know what run game coordinator means yet if you do. Um, not really having clear lines of, of who does what and what's what's responsibility is a little scary to me. Collaboration is great if it turns into true collaboration. And this is where DQ is huge. His force of personality and the way he runs a building has a massive, I would say, calming effect on my nerves as I give you this take. I, I trust that they can get it done. If you had, if I had to bet one way or the other, I would bet on it working. But I would not be doing my job in kind of giving you the whole picture if I did not say that some of this, some of the lack of clarity, some of the lack of uh, concise, clear vision and responsibilities, etc., does it make me a little nervous? Ultimately, it's not my job to figure it out. Uh, but we'll see what the results are, and we'll certainly be talking about them all fall along here on the Hoffman Show. When we get back, Field Yates joins us. ESPN NFL insider gives his mock draft 1.0. Who's he got going to Washington? And then we'll talk about some of the top quarterbacks and how they could build an offense around them coming up at 445 here on the team, 980. Stoffman Show, we're on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. And joining us now for the first time in a while, it's our pleasure to welcome back our good friend Field Yates to the show, ESPN NFL Insider. Field, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing great. We are rolling along in week one of the NFL offseason, and yet it's a reminder that the NFL never stops. As, what, four days after the Super Bowl is over, 
all kinds of news. It's draft season. Free agency is less than a month away. It is a great time to be a football fan. It's so funny hearing you say it's like week one of the NFL offseason because like it is, but also like if you're a local team, you know, if you're a local person, you cover one yeah. team who's been out of it. It's like week six at this point of the offseason. Totally. But like yeah. it is kind of 100%. this weird dynamic of like, you know, if you're Kyle in San Francisco and you let go of Steve Wilkes, which what a you know, that kind of comes out of nowhere. And it's like, well, everyone else is hired a D coordinator. And so also you feel terrible for Steve Wilkes because had he been available six weeks ago, like who knows what job he would have now. Um, but that's kind of just how this all works. Uh, the reason that we have field on though, specifically is because he has released his mock draft 1.0 and field. Uh, you have the same thing that, that we did our first mock draft on the podcast yesterday, mock draft 1.0 for us. And you went the same place we did LSU quarterback, Jaden Daniels for the commanders. Why do you like this fit for Washington and how realistic is it that Daniels has jumped Drake may in the eyes of many evaluators. You talk to people around the league that this is, this is going to happen potentially at two where I think all college football season, we thought that it was going to go Caleb Williams and then Drake may. Yeah. I think people need to remind themselves that a lot changes in the course of one college football season. And I also think people need to be aware of this when the conversation surrounding the top quarterbacks, continues over the next two months it is not a two-man race the three-man race i'm just telling you that's absolutely unequivocally how the league sees these three quarterbacks this is not simply the drake may versus caleb williams debate Jaden daniels is right in the thick of it as well no player did more to help his draft stock this season than Jaden daniels won the heisman trophy put an lsu team that was frankly bad on defense had a limited offensive line put him on his back or i guess on his shoulder and his legs because he had an unbelievable season as a dual-threat quarterback. Three for 40 touchdowns, ran for over 1,000 yards. The guy was lights out in big moments. He has all the clutch production you could possibly ask for out of a player at this stage of his college football career. Uh, he is no doubt in the conversation for the best or second-best quarterback in all of the 2024 NFL draft. So actually, I'm glad you said that that way at the end there, the best or second best. Like how varied are, as you, you talk to more and more uh, of, you know, NFL personnel types, uh, which obviously you know so well, uh, for those that don't know, Field uh, has worked in an NFL front office before, even though he's been doing the media thing for a bunch of years now, maintains great contacts, has a great eye, all of these things. So as, as you look at it and as you talk to other folks around the league, like, how tight is this three-man race, and, and how varied are they not just two and three, but one through three with May, Daniels, and Williams? Yeah, I think if you did a straw poll of 32 GMs, you'd probably get the most votes for Caleb Williams. But I think you'd get a couple votes, a handful of votes perhaps for Gene and Daniels, and maybe a couple of others for Drake May as well. Listen, when you go back and watch this 2024 season, the player that played the best out of the three is Jaden Daniels. Caleb Williams had a bit of a step back relative to the season he had in 2022, but he also had one of the greatest college football seasons ever in 2022, so a step back was borderline inevitable. Drake May had a step back as well, but Drake May in 2022, there are four major awards that a freshman is eligible for in the ACC. Only twice has a freshman won all four of those awards. Jameis Winston back in Florida State and Drake May in 2022 in North Carolina. I'm talking about Rookie of the Year, Newcomer of the Year, Offensive Player of the Year, and Player of the Year. He had a monster 2022 season, like Caleb Williams, likely to take a step back. That being said, Drake had more moments, left you feeling a little bit less inspired this season relative to Caleb Williams, which is why the conversation around Caleb 
still being quarterback one is still very much in play. But you're kind of you're 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 make, you're what's the I'm looking for picking nits is the word I was looking for right there as it pertains to these three quarterbacks. Right, they're all tremendous. They all have a different style of play in which they operate. And I would tell you this. If you land one of those three quarterbacks, you meaning the three teams in the top three, I guarantee you there's enough talent in each of them to build a successful offense around going forward. We talk about quarterbacks that fail in the NFL. Sometimes teams fail quarterbacks. These three quarterbacks are all capable of being a, an architect for a long, long time in the NFL. Uh, but the job for Adam Peters, assuming that this team does not make a move up or down off the board, is having to decide between QB2 and QB3 if we assume that Caleb Williams winds up going number one, it's a fascinating decision that will reverberate for a long, long time in D.C., probably a decision that will reverberate for a long time in New England, as I suspect the Patriots will take the leftover of these three quarterbacks. High stakes, but there's a lot of upside for all three of these kids. I don't think this is a situation where you can truly go wrong. Field Yates, ESPN NFL insider with us. So, Field, I'm going to run my dream scenario by you as someone who knows the Patriots very well. <laughs> uh, my dream scenario for Washington oh. is that... It's not happening. What, what do you think I know where is? you're going. It's not happening. What, what do you think the Patriots, The Patriots say, we need to get up to pick two. And we're going to give you you know, a boatload for Why for are you crushing two. my dreams, Field? Why, is it, why are you so I mean, adamant well, that it's not happening? tissue. The league is going to do that this year. We just saw the Panthers trade everything to get from nine to one. The jump is not as big to three to two, but the levers Adam Peters would wield if he is talking to the Patriots at pick two is actually fairly strong, right? The Patriots would only call you if they feel like, hey, whether it's, if it's on the clock, it means that there's just one remaining that they like. If it's before the draft, it's all right, hey, we know there are two that we like. We don't like quarterback three, but that's incredibly unlikely to me uh, think about the, the, the cost. I mean, for the Patriots, it's so prohibitive for a team that's got a bad roster. Like, they can't afford to trade two, I'm sorry, three plus 36 plus like a first round pick next year to move up one slot. You just can't do it. Simply can't do it. I get it. It's a dream for the commanders. In the same way, by the way, it's probably a dream for the Bears that the commanders offer everything to move up to pick number one. And you probably say if the commanders did that, no way, Jose. It's just not worth it. So I get it. But for the teams that are trying to move up, trying to move back just to one spot, highly, highly unlikely. Yeah, I, I guess I, my hope would be that, obviously, like let's say the Commanders love Daniels, the Patriots love May, and the Falcons love May, and you can get those two teams going against each other. And you basically tell New England, like, look, we're comfortable trading out. Like, we're willing to lose Daniels. Um, obviously, that would come with its own set of criticism, but, like, we're willing to to trade back here. And so you either take – you either come get him or, or we're going to trade out. And that Robert Kraft gets desperate. Um, but I guess you're, you're saying that's – don't play on it. Okay, I will. It's much here's a, here's what's more likely. Okay, more likely is a team moving up from further back, Atlanta, because the as an example, right? The reason why a team like Atlanta might do something like that is they may say, "Hey, we're quarterback away," but if you're New England, it's completely miscalculating where your roster is at right now. Understanding that free agency has not taken place. If you think that you are just Drake May or Jaden Daniels away, you trade for the second pick, you draft that guy, and you're all square, even Steven, no problem, right? You also will have diluted multiple premium assets in the process. I'm just The cost is not going to be three to two, like, hey, here's three and our fourth rounder for pick number two. 
When it's a quarterback involved, it's going to be a massive haul the commanders would get. Meanwhile, if you're Atlanta and you're, you know, I don't believe that they are just a, a quarterback away from being a real true blue Super Bowl contender in the NFC. But if they have sort of different viewpoints of it, or they feel like, hey, we just hired this new coach, we want to go all in, the division's not very good, let's capitalize on this window, they may be the kind of team that says, we'll give you eight, next year's first, and something else to make it worth your while if you are the commanders. But if you're the commanders, the question you have to ask yourself is that if we move all the way down to eight, are we willing to run it back with Sam Howell this year? And how does that impact how things look at quarterback beyond this season as well? For sure. Uh, the other question, I guess, then becomes in, that comes in the equation is what do they think of Bo Nix? How high is Bo Nix's stock after the senior bowl where he had a pretty good week? Yeah, I would say that Bo is one of those guys where there's, I think there's a beauty in the eye of the beholder for the quarterbacks that are not the three that we have been talking about. Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels. I'm not saying that those guys will be stacked up identically for every team around the NFL. My guess, though, is that most teams will have them viewed as the top three quarterbacks in this year's class. Bo Nix, Michael Penix, J.J. McCarthy kind of form that next tier in my estimation. And I think teams can view those guys very differently depending on both how they want to play the quarterback position and what factors that each one of them has may or may not matter. In the case of Michael Penix, you're going to have to evaluate the medical history. I know people will tell you, well, he's been healthy since he got to Washington. Totally fair. I'm just telling you that I'm not a doctor, and NFL team doctors in some cases are notoriously conservative. They may say, hey, we just don't feel like this is a worthwhile investment at this point of the draft. Bo Nix, most experienced quarterback literally ever to come out of the draft. He started more games at the FBS level than any quarterback in college football history. Uh, is a much different player than he was, though, in the early portions of his career at Auburn. I like Bo. I think he's got you know some pretty compelling traits. The upside, though, is definitely a different level of upside than the three quarterbacks that we have discussed already. I do think that the quarterback that you and I have both mocked to Washington is is still the most likely scenario, though, in Jaden Daniels. How do you like that fit with Cliff Kingsbury and, by the way, the rest of the staff that they have now built in Washington, Anthony Lynn, Brian Johnson, and company? Yeah, the idea of Jaden Daniels is really fun in D.C. because, while it's not as simple as just getting a quarterback. Obviously, protection was a problem this past year. Some of that was on Sam, but some of that was also on the offensive line. Uh, but they've got two at least really good wide receivers. I know Jahan Dodson took a step back this past season relative to what some of us thought he would become as a potential second-year breakout. But, like, I, I would, first of all, I would go find Terry McLaurin and, like, I would, I would see – how he's feeling because uh, I'm sure he would be thrilled to have a quarterback of his caliber on the roster. Jaden Daniels completely changes the geometry of how you're able to play defense. It's a very simple but also difficult pickle that defensive coordinators face. To play man-to-man defense against a quarterback with the rushing ability of Jaden Daniels and he breaks the pocket and all your cornerbacks are manned up on wide receivers and your safeties are manned up on tight ends and running backs and you're probably going to give up a lot of space to a running quarterback who averaged over eight yards per carry this past season. If you play zone, he's adept enough right now to pick you apart with his arm as well. This kid's a legit thrower is Jaden Daniels. So um, he just, the minute you draft Jaden Daniels, the minute he's in your huddle, he makes life easier on your offensive line and he makes life way more difficult on the opposing defense. 
Field Yates, ESPN NFL Insider. Catch him NFL Live and all of ESPN's vast NFL programming and uh, ESPN.com. You can check out the full mock draft 1.0. Field, thank you for your time, sir. I'll see you in Indianapolis at the Combine. Can't wait. I'm looking forward to it already. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Take Command Mock Draft 1.0 coming up in about 10 minutes. Uh, An hour 10 from now, J.P. Finley joins us uh, after he's done being uh, a a television star. Uh, He will bless us here on the lowly radio uh, coming up at 6 o'clock. Radio's awesome. Who am I kidding? Anthony, why did I do that? Why why am I being self-deprecating today? What are we doing? I don't know. I'm, I, I wish I knew. I feel like I have a little bit of the senioritis going. It's my uh, last okay. show before time off. Just, just feeling a little loose. You're really rubbing it in, man. Sorry. Because I'll be here tomorrow. You will be. Yes. I like literally keep forgetting that it's not Friday. Nope. Which I realize now I'm just rubbing it in more. But I really, it really, that's how my brain is operating at this time. Um, so I want to I wanna run through the top three quarterbacks real quick. And I'm sure we'll do versions of this uh, in more detail over the next couple of months. But we have like three minutes here, four minutes before we get to take command mock draft 1.0. Also, by the way, our debut of our NBA tiers coming up at 530. All-star break, good time to start it, uh, especially as our NFL tiers disappear into the offseason. So we will rank all 30 NBA teams on the same four tiers that we did all the NFL teams coming up at 530. But... Uh, three quarterbacks at the top of this draft. And I was wondering if Bo Nix could make this a top four. I do think that that chasm is going to be too wide. It is going to be these three guys off the board likely first. And then I do think there's still a little bit of a wild card between, I really think it's between Penix and McCarthy for QB four, which is weird because I also think McCarthy could be QB six very easily, but I don't think Penix is going to jump into four. Reason being, McCar- the, the, the opinions on McCarthy are going to be all over the place, in part because there's not a lot of film for him. Um, even though he's played a, a decent amount of football, they run the ball at Michigan way more than these other places. So there just aren't a lot of throws on tape for McCarthy and pass plays on tape to break down. And so with the smaller sample size, there's more room for variety. Um, with that said, I do think there are elements of all three of the top quarterbacks games that could fit in whatever Cliff Kingsbury builds based off of some of the stuff that he has done in the past. Cliff today was asked directly what he looks for in a quarterback, gave a funny answer, then gave a real one. Uh, the Chiefs quarterback. That'd help. <laughs> uh, no. Um, I do think the game, as you can see, you watch those guys, Brock and him at the end, like when the money's on the table, you got to be able to, make some plays um, with your feet, move around enough to escape a bad play. And it doesn't mean you got to run like Lamar or Kyler Murray, but you better be able to move a little bit and um, buy yourself some time because the, the D-line, the rushes, the defense these days are so good. And, and then the intangibles, you know, you want that player to be the hardest worker on your team. You want him to lead those guys um, each and every day when, when he shows up in the building. You want him to lift the building up, and um, that's why those guys make the type of money they do. So the leadership elements are going to kind of be uncovered over the next couple of months. And this is an area where I think a guy like Nick's a guy like McCarthy. Um, I think Penix is this way too. Like all those guys certainly could, could impress with 
their leadership capabilities. You know, as Field told us in the last segment, Bo Nix has started more college games than anybody in the history of the sport uh, between Auburn and Oregon. So there's like great leadership there. And I do think that Drake May and Caleb Williams and Jaden Daniels are all well-respected within their programs and, and seen as good leaders with good intangibles as well. But the movement part, I think, is interesting because – that is like if we're going to rank them one, two, three, the best mover of the bunch is obviously Jaden Daniels is a runner. Caleb Williams is elite at avoiding stuff within the pocket and kind of moving around, keeping the eyes downfield, that kind of stuff. And I think that's a, a criticism of Jaden's game is can he I heard, I heard a scout, uh, a scouting type say this the other day. Can he marry the pass game and the run game together? where he, when he takes off to run, keeps his eyes downfield and makes big plays with his arm? Or is it like drop back, he's good from the pocket, ball comes out on time, great, or he, he extends it a little bit, and then he's a runner? Can he have more of a hybrid between the two? And then you have Drake May, who is super mobile for sure, not as much of a runner as the other, well, I would say as much as Daniels, not as good of a scrambler as, as Caleb, because who is? Um, but they all have that big arm and the ability to make a playoff schedule. So that checks the box. And then I think you get to kind of the resume piece, and this is where it becomes pretty fascinating and, and what Cliff Kingsbury said earlier today. This is not an air raid offense. Um, certainly we'll have some air raid concepts, but this is not like a pure air raid. And they're, you let, then look at like what Cliff did in Arizona, and he really attacked outside the numbers in a way that I think – would benefit the current personnel of this team. If you can get a good running game going like they did with James Conner that Washington would theoretically be doing with Brian Robinson and then get the ball outside the numbers to DeAndre Hopkins, Hollywood Brown, et cetera, that they had uh, AJ Green there in Houston or sorry, not in Houston in um, Arizona and then do that with Terry and Jahan and whoever else you bring in here. Like that's, that's something that Jaden Daniels has a lot of experience with. He was a guy who threw a ton outside the numbers because he had two first-round picks at receiver, including Malik Neighbors, arguably the best receiver in the country. So that experience and that comfortability making long throws to the sideline and hitting a, a ton of go routes, the touch and the layering that, that he has, I think, even though people tie Cliff to Caleb Williams because of the USC tie and the RPO stuff that Cliff has run and some of these other guys, by the way, that have been brought in have a ton of RPO experience that Caleb's great at. The air raid, uh, you know, Phil Longo's name came up in this press conference, the former offensive coordinator at North Carolina who gave Drake May a start, um, and they've kept that offense at North Carolina even after Longo has left. Like, these things are very obvious, but if you look at the traits that Cliff likes, I actually think Jaden Daniels is an excellent pick. So, needless to say, I think with the offense that they could build, you could push more of the air raid stuff, more of the RPO stuff, more of the quarterback run, whatever, based off which one you draft, but it does feel like all three of these would be good fits with Cliff Kingsbury and the staff that he's put together here in Washington. When we get back, we'll talk more about how this draft could go down, uh, parse out some potential options at number two for Washington. It's Take Command Mock Draft 1.0, full first round. You'll hear it uh, next here on The Hoffman Show.